You're listening to an Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome um, to a conversation this morning and this afternoon um, between myself, Helen Runting, and the artists Kareem Adam and Manal. I'll introduce them uh, further in a second. Uh, but first, I would like to um, acknowledge the people of the Eastern Kulin Nations as the traditional custodians on the land of the land on which the M Pavilion stands, um, which is a space virtually, I guess, in which we meet today. We would also like to acknowledge the tr uh, traditional custodians of the various lands on which you all listen today um, and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people participating in this event. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Victoria and across Australia. The present conversation occurs within the frame of M Pavilion's program of events and specifically the January theme, Vacation, Location, Staycation. Um, it's my great pleasure to welcome um, today uh, the artist Kareen Ad Adam. Kareen is a Maldivian artist based in NARM, Australia. For our international audience, you may um, know NARM by its settler colonial name, Melbourne. Her multidisciplinary practice interrogates the personal, social and political complexities of living between two homes with vastly different cultures and histories. Her current work critiques colonial mechanisms embedded in tourism representations of island destinations and subverts marketing mediums and tourism paraphernalia to disrupt the tourist gaze. Kareen has exhibited works in Maldives, Australia and parts of the Asia Pacific. And something I'd really like to continue to talk with her this morning, um, in May 2021, she made her curatorial debut with Here, There, Nowhere, um, an exhibition with all Maldivian artists that was um, staged at Black Dot Gallery in Melbourne. Karine is also a PhD candidate in fine arts at the Womanjika Jimbana Lab uh, at Monash University. So welcome, Karine. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll also introduce our second guest this morning, who we're going to be in conversation with, Manal. You're a self-taught musician and artist from uh, the Maldives. Uh, you live in Mali and are DJ by profession um, and it seems that your work spans a bunch of different disciplines so I'm hoping to have a conversation about the breadth um, of what you've been involved in. Uh, Manal is active with curating events and collaborations together uh, with a series of music collectives um, and he also produces under the name uh, Autonomotor um, and your work is um, available on 
SoundCloud. I've had an amazing morning kind of trawling through that um, that uh, archive of your work. Uh, Manal has been part of many pioneering events, contributing to encouraging and promoting the culture of sonic and visual artistry in the Maldivian community. Uh, he's also an alumni of the Border Movement, a cultural catalyst for merging electronic music and music musicians of South Asia and Germany, which was initiated by the Goethe Institute, um, and is a co-creator of Sign Valley, a grassroots audiovisual residency program for experimenting arts in Nepal, and part of the energetic team at Kathy Hivaru Festival, an urban youth gathering to celebrate culture, creativity, and entrepreneurship amongst young Maldivians. My name is Helen Runting. Um, I'll be moderating this conversation. I am a director of the Architecture Office Secretary. Um, I'm currently based in Stockholm uh, in, in Sweden. So I'm joining you from the depths of Swedish winter this morning. Um, and our conversation is sprawling across three locations, three different time zones, um, and three different sets of disciplinary interests. So um, I'm so excited to, to welcome you here today. Um, I might start by asking you, Kareem, if you could, um, if you can kind of explain your, your current location. You're joining us uh, this morning from Australia. Um, how do you, what's your relationship to, um, to your kind of uh, different home contexts? Yeah, so I'll, I'll also begin by um, just acknowledging the, um, where I am a visitor at right now, which is um, Melbourne, also um, the lands or, and the custodians who are uh, Boomerang and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. Um, and I also want to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Um, also extend uh, my acknowledgement and respect to all First Nation people and uh, the people of Maldives who may be listening today. Um, so I am currently living in Melbourne. I have been in Australia for the most part of the last 20 years. I came here um, to study at university and I lived in Brisbane for a long time until I moved to Melbourne in 2017, I think, yeah. Yeah, so, and um, not knowing what to do, I <laughs> enrolled to study. So I did a master's program last year, which led me to doing this PhD this year. I just started the PhD, so it's very new. Brilliant. <laughs> it's really exciting, I think, to hear, and we'll definitely dig into this, um, this kind of crossover in your work between research and fine arts practice and curation, um, and also this kind of geographic overlap um, that occurs in your relation between uh, two places. Um, Manal, can you um, introduce the audience to, to your current setting? Where are you this morning or th this afternoon or this evening? <laughs> Hi, um, thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to, to be here, meet great people, share where I come from. And, um, I'm based on a tourist resort in Nono Atoll um, in the Maldives right now, where I've been working since February uh, on and off. Usually my work involves just traveling to uh, tourist resorts where I perform for the night and uh, travel back to 
where I'm based at, which is Male. Um, since the since the pandemic, uh, traveling has not been very easy. So uh, I've been based in this island uh, because most of uh, well, all of 2020, I was at home, and now uh, it's a different version of work where I am. Uh, well, I'm based on an island, so geographically, the Maldives is like separated um, into all these little tiny, tiny islands where you you you're on the island when you're working, and you're also on the island when you're not working. It's like boarding school in a sense, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's kind of kind of unique to the Maldives, where you can't really leave work in that sense, and where I think um, I my observation of uh, to to contribute to what we are going to talk about it comes from this particular aspect because I've I've been working since two thousand six as a DJ, and it's helped me uh, grasp. A, a view of the extension of the world because I, I've i never lived outside of the Maldives and all that I've learned is um, through the arts and, and through the networks that I've connected to with the arts. So, um, yeah, Maldives, it's nice and also a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we can dig into some of the, the kind of um, local specificities of this really, um, uh, really sort of fascinating context that um, unites you, Kareen and, and Manal, so not only in terms of your commitment to art practice but also to developing um, spaces for um, the, the art practices of others. Uh, it sounds like you've both been involved in different ways in, in producing such spaces. I guess I might start by asking you about um, one such uh, event that that is um, maybe a little bit closer to home for those who are um, listening to us through the M Pavilion um, uh, interface. And that would be your recent exhibition um, at Black Dot Gallery in Brunswick um, titled Here, There, Nowhere, um, which was uh, shown between April and May 2021. And Karine, this was, um, you were acting as, as curator there. So I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about perhaps the, the framing of that particular exhibition. And I hope we can use that as a springboard yeah. to jump into some of the issues around labour, work, um, leisure, tourism that Manal starts to raise just describing his daily life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this has been an idea I've had um, for some time, the, the concept of this exhibition. Um, and even though I say that I was a curator, I don't really feel like I curated it, it kind of sort of evolved out of conversations I was having with other creatives in the Maldives um, about um, this idea of, you know, the island that we all grew up in. And it came out because I, I had been living in Australia for um, 
about nearly 10 years off and on. And then I moved back to Maldives in 2017 to 2016. I was there and I started noticing these beautiful coral pieces um, on the fringe on one specific um, part of our city, Mali, and I started drawing that. And I didn't know why I was doing it, but it sort of all started to make sense um, uh, years later <laughs> in 2017. Um, over, and over the course of that period, I was having multiple conversations, mainly with one of my cousins, who was also an artist, uh, Topi, and, um, and the other artist who was part of the exhibition, Fazail Lutfi. Um, and then I started seeing Manal post these images of um, our city in this beautiful kind of chaotic layered you know, digital collages on Instagram. And it just sort of all made sense from that point on um, that what I was trying to do was have this make a story about where we come from and, you know, this place that was developing and emerging right in front of our eyes into something we hardly recognize anymore, at least from when I was younger to what it is now, it's very different. Um, so yeah, and then I also just happened to get, um, I applied to do um, an exhibition at Black Dot and had a chat with uh, Kimba, the curator there and talked to her about this idea. And she's like, yeah, let's do it here. So that's how it came about, I think. Was that your question? <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. great because yeah. I would also like to point out that there's um, that the exhibition is um, is still up in in its digital form um, as a virtual space that one can wander through and and listen and and watch and um, kind of inhabit. So I think that's a really excellent um, resource for us. And I think uh, for me, it was certainly my first introduction to. Um, the Maldives as a, as a context. And um, coming from urban planning, I was really struck by um, this sensation of um, the way in which the, the exhibition pieces were able to convey a kind of jolting, quite shocking sense of transformation. Um, this idea that things are changing uh, very, very rapidly. And um, Manal, this is maybe something that uh, flows through your work, um, particularly because I, especially when we talk about these digital collages that you've produced that um, I think really viscerally express a sense of um, a kind of layering of history and built form and new buildings and this kind of um, clashes that emerge um, as these layers are added. Um, can you explain a little bit for an audience who are perhaps unfamiliar with your city, like what's going on? What kind of scale of transformation are we talking about? Um, uh... It's a, it's about six square kilometers and about a hundred and fifty thousand or maybe more now people crammed into this little space um, in time and well we grew up with uh, uh, streets to run ride a bicycle whereas my nephews and nieces are stuck home because it's too much traffic and there's a uh, there's this, there's this constant um, ebb and flow of construction 
when when there are all these buildings that are coming up there are all these buildings that are coming down as well and none none of it's it the saddest part about it for me is that there are some heritage buildings and there are some things about the identity of the island that are not being compromised i mean that that's being compromised like you know it's it's like they're just uh they're just buildings so we just need to build over them so we have a bigger building but i i feel there's a lot of sentimental value to certain things especially and and karina and i've been going on and off about what does it mean to be a Maldivian at this age and uh, like you know at this age and time especially because um because tourism has been promoting uh this version of sun sand and sea and like you know all things beautiful it is i guess it's it's geographically an amazing place but uh, it's it's not been spared to its people that they 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 lost their identity into um into thinking that this is development and like you know you should just get on with it and not really be bothered about uh about giving keeping that space for 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 what it stands for like before all these buildings and all these version of of um globalized development ma- made its way to the Maldives Yeah I mean I think um uh, tourism there's a tourism is always this sort of um story of modernity right that's always connected to a kind of colonial um logic whereby both environment and local culture is not just colonized but um also commodified and sold packaged and sold <laughs> and um and, and only the the elements i guess that are considered to be like valorized within you know a broader um western white often male even <laughs> gaze um so i really i mean you're really at the kind of um at the forefront of 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 watching this happen and i guess your generation particularly um even historically are those who have witnessed this enormous uh, kind of transformation um in terms of the tourism that industry i guess there's there's also this um the sense if you're in an island environment with quite um bounded geographic <laughs> uh, land potential um and you have these flows of quite privileged tourist bodies that need to take space how does this impact on the kind of space that local communities um are able to um occupy and call their own is there a displacement that occurs um in order to make way for this tourist infrastructure um i don't think not yet um but there's this um centralization push by the government so and i think it's partly for practical reasons because maldives is like um 1900 islands scattered across a very vast ocean 
um, and 200 islands are inhabited. And, you know, the average population in an atoll is around 1,000 people. So it's like very, um, what do you call it? Um, like the population is very spread out. So um, I guess administratively, it, it's a challenge, you know, for the government. So they've had this idea of, uh, centralizing everybody around um, the main city, Mali, where we, Manal and I both grew up. And they've actually built another city next to Mali, you know, to populate. Um, and, and all the infrastructure, all the hospitals and schools and everything is in, in the city. Um, so in that sense, um, and, and there's still a lot of islands, um, but there's uh, almost the same number of populated inhabited islands as um, resort islands now. It's coming close to that. So I think every year um, there's, in the last couple of years, they've had like new resorts to the number of six to seven new resorts opening up and really big luxury brands. Um, and the you know, some of them are very beautifully made. <laughs> and um, so at the moment, I don't think any of the local islands have been converted to resorts, but... Um, yeah, the, the, the introduction of the local tourism had uh, slightly... Uh, there was a point at where it was very nice uh, because the idea of introducing local tourism was since like um, the Maldives said, like, you know, every island is a separate resort. So there is no local people I, just putting it into context. Like it's like a hotel per island. So nobody shares the island with anyone else on the only people who live on this island are the people who are working on the island. So um, in that aspect, uh, a, a lot of islands that, used to belong to generations and generations of people um, that has been leased out for farming and stuff have been converted to uh, tourist resorts in the past years and like rapidly it's becoming more and more which means a lot of islands that were um, places for picnics are now no more especially in the central part of Maldives which is Kafu. Uh, there's uh, uh, there are almost no no islands left for for picnics for local people, and there are these little sandbanks that um, appear from season to season, which also seem to be reserved by some of these um, big islands. Yeah, that's for, true. Reserved reserved for their guests, and. Um, yeah, that's that. But then when when local tourism came, I think it was pretty uh, like a breath of fresh air to the island because the economy started to move around. But then there was still the part where the people from Mali who had uh, a more a bigger capital who'd come and kind of monopolize on the on these um, other islands uh, to make like five to the local ten, islands. Yeah. Yeah. Ten story buildings. Whereas the islanders would have just a story high building and they'll just be looking at this big building where it's full of tourists. Um, I, I guess it could be balanced out in a, in a way, but 
it just fluctuates back and forth either way. Yeah. And I think they, they also had this issue of um, when local tourism started, which was only in the last, is it? Uh, seven years or so, um, which means, um, so we had a one resort, one island, one island, one resort policy for a long time from the beginning. Um, And then uh, uh, local tourism was introduced. um, And so uh, guest houses were being built on local islands, but parts of um, the island beach were some people were claiming that you know they were becoming off limits for locals because it's a Muslim country, right? So um, there was the issue of modesty and people wearing bikinis on the beach and <laughs> that sort of conflict between the local culture and values and you know what tourists generally expect to do on a beach were um, incongruent. So I think there were some incidences like that, um, but generally it's been okay, right? Um, I, I, I must admit that because I don't live in the Maldives, but I try and keep up with what's going on as much as possible. So I'm talking about things that I've seen online, on social media, or have people have told me. So just putting a disclaimer out there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually might follow up then with a question um, that relates back to, um, I guess, uh, the work that you both have been doing, because in the face of this centralisation that um, you describe as a governmental policy and this, like, image, I guess, that I have in my head from what you're telling us of this uh, kind of expansion, densification, going up in scale, this kind of rapid um, and quite strong pressure to, to um, stake out uh, land, if it's a sand bank or if it's a, a, a piece of a beach or if it's an entire island. Um, has that also, I mean, that's a kind of conversation about infrastructures for um, for holiday makers or for recreation. Um, but I wonder how um, both of you seem to have a real focus in your work around infrastructures for the production of art and culture. Um, you've both been involved in fe- uh, different festivals, um, in starting things, um, like whether that be collectives or events or exhibitions. Um, what, how how do you work with the idea of a kind of cultural infrastructure? Um, is this something that you see as part, as central to your practice? Um, I guess it's a question for both of you. Um, perhaps, uh, Manal, you could start off and then we can um, throw over to, to Karine. So uh, at, 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 at the beginning, I was very excited uh, at, at my first travels out, out of the country to see music festivals and um, uh, the, this, uh, this idea of having a party or having events on these islands was a wonderful, um, it, it was just just exciting because the first party that we had um, on an island, because when we grew up, a party would only start at like, you know, they'd have little parties at the the local uh, billiards club place where you would just have a party from 9 p.m. till 12 p.m. 
and it was just it was just like it was like a dance so when we went out uh to to see parties in goa it was like wow this is this is a different version of it it's outdoors it's um it's a lot longer and like you could also enjoy the daytime with the music and we decided to have a party in 2011 and it was really wonderful because uh, it was a full moon when the sun was setting the moon was coming up on the same time and we were just too excited to like have this future vision of doing bigger parties inviting and like making an industry out of it but i guess we were not politically uh, stable enough or culturally uh, accepting for the of the idea and we ended up uh in a not so good situation that we were stopped by the government with the police raid and so forth so um at that point i realized well this is uh this is i we need to change the point of view towards how we are going to do that and i started uh taking a more uh educational approach because at that point we were having a decline of venues to even perform or like art, art exhibitions and and that was when i started to feel like oh we we kind of need to nurture more people and give them uh an idea on how to to find themselves because that i i'd like to bring up the the part where when i met karin was i was at school at grade 9 and, and these guys were like you know I, i i like doing wonderful things i was introduced <laughs> to them at a studio called the 6th floor and i'd skip school some days to come there because like at school i was supposed to draw an apple uh, or i was just doing all sorts of uh, other stuff and it was so boring but when i came to this studio i was told you don't need to draw an apple you can draw whatever you want and you could like put together sculptures and do all these things and i i i i was always interested in finding um random things from the road putting them together it was very interesting to see look at the form at different angles and much later i found out about duchamp and i was like ah this makes sense so people do 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 this kind of stuff and i i felt that encouragement from them to to find myself and i feel this responsibility to give to a lot of other people to also find themselves not in in the um conventional way and and at that time it was the trans the the arrival of internet and um all these uh, th- uh tutorials f- from youtube and you were learning and so we started kattihivaru and kattihivaru was um a, like a whole group of was about 80 to 90 uh freshers from school and there were people who wanted to do like drama there were people who wanted uh to uh, create community based theater and all these little things that were not really um addressed in uh, uh, even at the national uh center for the arts because they were only like having 
piano lessons, learning for Elise and so and so. So we were um, in that uh, exciting space where we wanted to put everybody's ideas together to bring forth. And um, but we did that for two to three years and towards the end of it, we also again faced this um, uh, wall where um, there was a, a religious sensitivity to uh, um, some some of the artworks that had nudes on it and and it had come to a halt this project had come to a halt at that point as well that's when I had to change like you know this is where um, uh, where I had come to where this this idea of where I am now is where does art stand in a society like ours? We can't consume art in the context of, only in the context of the Western uh, view of what art is. Um, because a lot of people in the society of Maldives look at art as leisure stuff and, and they, they think it's a waste of time. My parents still ask me, when am I going to get a real job? And it's, it's not their fault, right? It's not their fault. They, they, for for them growing up, they they don't they don't understand this context of what we're doing, because we're not wearing a tie, and so I I like especially with music because music is such a sensitive um, topic with uh, with so many fundamental people like like very straightforwardly saying that this is um, not allowed to practice and but I have no um, uh, no intention of, of challenging to this I would just like to find a middle ground uh, to say that well we learn as humans we learn a lot of things while we are playing and something like music can be uh, a, a gateway for you to find uh, other career paths like broadcasting or documentation by learning to play with these instruments or the technicalities of all these things. So I wanted to put function into this seemingly just aesthetic version of art. And, 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 and this is the... the the way that um, this is what brought me to thinking about how to place creativity in 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 a place that is so polarized with their their idea or um, how how art is perceived. It's interesting that you say um, that you've always been interested in. No, it's fascinating. I'm so um, I'm so excited to hear this kind of account of your the evolution of your practice, where you say that you know you started. You've always liked um, picking up random things from the road, putting things together, combining things. I mean, this is really the sensibility of the DJ, right? It's this uh, you know kind of borrowing practice where samples are like taken and woven into something else that produces perhaps a completely 
completely different um, atmosphere or outcome or production. Um, and I think it's really inspiring to also hear this shift between um, like an embryonic techno scene where maybe these parties were were um, not able to happen through to how you've kind of adopted, say, SoundCloud, Instagram, other forums <laughs> in order to just keep the production going. Um, and maybe this, uh, this links, I think if we think about this this DJ sensibility a little longer. Um, it's, it strikes me that, Corinne, you're also working with a kind of sampling um, uh, in, the, in the way in which you appropriate advertising as a <laughs> media for your own um, agenda. <laughs> uh, and maybe you could talk to us a little bit about um, your work because um, I, I wanted to ask you about the travel um, the, the travel agency project, which is very much a kind of um, sampling and appropriation. It's super playful. Um, and maybe you could explain a little bit how, how you were thinking in engaging that work. Because if I understand correctly, it's sort of an ongoing project that, that yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I, in, um, I don't know. I, I was, where did it all start? <laughs> where did it all start? <laughs> and just li listening to Manal and like him talking about that moment where we met and that was so long ago and so much has happened since then. Um, uh, for me personally as well. Um, I just wanted to mention that place where we were gathering. Um, I come from a very creative family. So in my experience growing up, we've, I've always sort of been surrounded by creative people in terms of photography or architects or, I don't know, everybody seems to have some sort of a tendency towards creating stuff. So it was sort of an encouraged thing but I was also <laughs> sort of guided towards um, taking a normal job um, so my I started when I first came to Australia I studied psychology and then as soon as I got a job I went into art and started studying art and um, so I've always had this sense of a uh, feeling of responsibility in a way um, and a, a very strong social conscience, you know, about what was happening around me and especially in the Maldives because of the privileges that I've had, I feel like um, there's always this desire to give back. And where I noticed um, this, this whole series that has led to my real holiday travel agency, it came about um, after... 2012, there was a coup in the Maldives where the first democratically elected president was forced to resign at gunpoint. And I was in Brisbane at the time and I was in shock and talking to my friends here about it. And I was looking at pictures popping up on social media and it was pretty traumatic um, to look at it. So I was obviously worried about people at home. And uh, but a lot of these conversations, <laughs> I had to sort of, um, I kept getting this response from people like, oh, but it's such a beautiful place, you know, like that, but is such a beautiful place really struck me as why would they say that, you know, I'm telling them about something that is sort of 
really upsetting. Um, so I realized at that point, there's this huge discrepancy between my idea of Maldives and other people's idea of Maldives, especially people living here in, in Australia. And, and so that's where I started making these images that sort of appropriated tourist um, um, tropes. And um, I started, you know, making, I made a series, a body of work that was sort of a collection of souvenirs and things like that, that sort of, you know, appropriated images that I was seeing from the coup and the protests, but I made souvenirs out of them. And so I was always interested in mixing like that real horrible thing that was happening with the beauty. So there was this beauty and trauma that was happening at the same time in, in the people back in the Maldives and me living through it um, through social media. And, and then it was still very um, alive when I went home in 2013, there was still protests ongoing and, and there was a lot of creative movement as well happening at that time. The one thing about Maldives is and um, there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of people who are very artistic, um, even though art and creativity isn't something that's, um, you know, recognized as in the West. Um, but it's slowly changing. Um, so I know that at one point there was a group of people who um, did make some postcards to send to the UN or some, there was some international meeting where Maldives was being represented. So they did create a series of postcards that was sort of, the you know, 350 one, right? The three, yes, it was an environmental thing, right? Right. Um, so I think this idea of using um, postcards and posters as a tool to communicate this other side of Maldives, that the people who are citizens there who are living there were experiencing became interesting for me and and then it was last year that I started really looking into like theories around visual culture and colonialism and sort of started to get a better understanding of how these ideas about islands and this um, like exotification of these island spaces and um, you know, there's, it's like a, this really <laughs> interesting in, in one sense, but sort of sinister in another sense, like it's a construction of, you know, an idea of a place and it had a whole history around it. And so this is what I'm unpacking right now is just learning about these techniques of obscuring or presenting portions of a place as if it was complete. and. So what I wanted to do with Real Holidays eventually was like I had these posters and these like collection of imagery that I'd created using like elements of, um, you know, that referenced the police uniform and the political parties and um, flies <laughs> to throw in some discomfort in there. And I wanted to put that out and... I wanted to create a space, like an installation in, in, a, in a space um, where people can come in and it was set, it would be set up like a tour agency where I'll be giving them a tour of 
alternate spaces in the Maldives where tourists won't be taken to. But because of COVID, I had to take it out onto the street, which also kind of worked out really well. So my posters got in, um, pasted up in, in, in um, Collingwood in Melbourne. And I dressed up as a tour guide and I printed out some posters and postcards and I was like pretending because it was lockdown, um, I could only be there with one other person so and a photographer. So I sort of photo documented that um, event um, and sort of, you know, just posed like a tour agent would on a, you know, like one of those catalogs. So it was a lot of fun and, um, but it wasn't as complete as I would have liked it to be because we just didn't have the audience that I needed. <laughs> but I did, you know, create a website <laughs> and a series of Instagram posts um, that sort of related to that event. I, I was, um, I'm fascinated to hear about your background in, in psychology <laughs> <laughs> and how this is sort of fed into everything because um, I just, uh, we're sort of coming to the end of our, our time here vaguely. So there's maybe time for one more question to the both of you. Um, and I guess I, I really would love to return maybe to the start of our conversation uh, when, Manal, you were just explaining your general, like your daily existence of um, working as a DJ on these islands. And um, obviously when we talk about tourism, we, th we think about this, um, it's always the kind of body at leisure. It's, uh, it's the working body that is not working, who is the tourist, um, who is recuperating, rebuilding their spirit, uh, ready to return to kind of um, their place in the global um, marketplace of in terms of labour and their privileged position within that hierarchy. And then, of course, behind uh, tourism, we have all the other labouring bodies <laughs> who are facilitating this experience right um, so I think what 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 struck me here in this conversation about psychology is really that in both of your work you open up to um, discussing kind of the anxiety of the working body um, but also the space of joy like when does the body that produces recreation then um, also relax. <laughs> Where is that moment of play or dance or festival? And can it also integrate the dark side of these spaces? Um, so, I mean, I'm just trying to give a kind of reading of how I, of why I admire both of your work um, as a result of this conversation. But I, I'd like to maybe ask you a little bit, um, perhaps Manal, like I, I was listening to your SoundCloud stuff earlier, which is awesome. And I, I noticed that some of the more recent tracks have this like much more hard pace um, to them. Them. There's like a, a lot more going on in them. And I was thinking like it must be hard balancing between this like re relaxation and this kind oh, of absolutely. Um, calm minimalism and then the desire to produce. Uh, <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about that? So basically I am <laughs> juggling my passion and my profession between my ears and um, so um, a lot of the stuff that I'm making right now is n not absolutely um, geared towards making you 
not um, feel like uh, well, I, I I see them uh, like I wait how how do I put this? It's like it's like how I into like how how we see. It was a long question, so you can have a long answer. <laughs> it's like how you see movies, right? Like a lot of people in, in the Maldives, um, when when they um, ask me what kind of music is this, or when especially when we started to play electronic music, a lot of them would say, uh, "When is the singing starting?" Like you know, is there anybody? Is there what's going on? Is this like background music or what? <laughs> Um, so right now I am just sonically trying to uh, bring out a, a, something from, from in a theatrical aspect where you it's not the conventional it's a it's a it's an it's a like an how to say it's a it's like a movie where you're not sure it's not uh, something that no 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 I, I'm just because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking specifically like the track like Levidity there's a track that you have called Levidity Cerebral Prose which has a real like deep kind of um, uh, it's it's very fast paced and it has this kind of um, anxiety that runs through <laughs> it which I think is very like moving like the body kind of wants to plunge into action um, and I was wondering like for me it was a shock coming from this project. Yes, this this song is a little bit as sampled from when I was stuck at home during the lockdown when I'd like gathered some uh, of the recordings that I had. I had three buildings being built around my house that I was living in. So my house is like three stories high and these buildings are about 10 stories high now. So I don't have daylight in my house and when the construction begins at eight o'clock, it's like construction times three. So in my room, it <laughs> it feels like like cerebral prose. Like my brain is just in the in in whatever. It, it's just crazy. Uh, I guess I was trying to lay out something that was being repeated in my head for at least six to eight months when this construction was going on, eventually I had to move out for a while uh, because it was not very, not at all. My sanity was also being <laughs> driven by the jackhammer. <laughs> and and the, so, well, I, basically <laughs> I'm trying to tell the story of how it is as a Moldavian right now beyond the whale of, this beautiful geographical blessing of nature. Um, it's the it's a dialogue of of the of the development that's uh, that doesn't give space to to its people, uh, and they're just being crammed into a factory. And I'd like it. I'd like it to be presented also together with the visuals so that people could just have an understanding of the, the, the crushing effect that it has on its people. And, and it, it does affect productivity. I didn't even mean it to be uh, a, 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 a finished uh, track. I just 
I was angry and I just put all these things together and I said, ah, that's, that's what it is. And I just thought it, it fit well with the, with the visual images that I was making at the time. And all these visual images that I w put together, uh, I started doing them in 2013 and they, it was just double exposures and then it became multiple exposures as as I started having, as it started to feel like it was being re repeated over and over again, as well as, I mean, I, I like the beauty in chaos, but the, the limit to uh, endure it for certain amount of time, it makes one feel rather bleak, if I may. Yeah. This is the the two tracks that you presented at the Black Dot exhibition, right? And I think collectively you titled them "Music for Discomfort," which which just captures what you just said so beautifully. Um, yeah, are these things you share as well, Karina? I mean, coming from your background in psychology and with this kind of interest in 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 um, uh, like metonymy or these like tropes of things relating to other things that run through your work, do you also see a kind of anxiety um, and and critique uh, sitting? beneath the, the, the imagery um, is what would you characterize your work in terms of if it had a feeling, what is that feeling? I can kind of read into it. How would you describe it? Uh, well, I was, uh, when I discovered the artist Sinka Shinabari from uh, the Nigerian British artist, um, when I discovered his work, there was something he said that really struck me that I really relate to in my work. And I'm paraphrasing, um, but he uses a lot of beauty in his work to draw people in um, and then shock them with sort of a revelation about, you know, the deeper message um, embedded in his work. And um, I guess I feel like Maldives is a bit like that, you know, it's a beautiful place. And if you spend long enough there, you'll start to see these other aspects of it that that aren't that perfect or idealized, you know. And um, so with my work, I, I would like people to be drawn to it because I do use a lot of color and it's very like poppy. Um, and, but I, include these elements of say um the camouflage pattern or flies at one point i was using this maggot shape as well um but it was this idea that there was something not quite right you know there was something a bit unsettling simmering just adjacent to it or beneath the surface so what i hope to do with my work is to make people stop and think about, you know, like, um, I guess, broaden their lens on this space that they imagine in their head as this beautiful, idyllic island. Um, and I want, I would like people to sort of consider that these are places where, you know, people live really complex lives and there's all sorts of things going on. So, um, 
Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I always feel like everything I make has to have a meaning. Uh, I know um, I, it's just the way I make work. Like I can't make it unless I feel very deeply about that topic or the issue. So as it turns out, this is something that I've kind of been carrying with me for a number of years now. So yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the question, what is simmering beneath the surface, will really stay with me. Um, I think that's a really beautiful kind of insight into to the thought process behind these projects. Um, and Manal, the, uh, I, I, I have to quote you here on the idea that there is beauty in chaos, but, but what are the limits of endurance, I think is a deeply um, affecting um, sentence and something that we should really take with us. Um, I think your work together speaks of so many themes of solidarity, pedagogy, critique um, that we could speak about for many hours. Um, <laughs> we've actually uh, kind of come to the end of our allotted time here for today's conversation. Um, so I'd just like to really formally and on behalf of M Pavilion, thank you so much for sharing um, these stories of your practice with us today. Um, and I really wish you both um, all the best for the future and thank, thanks for being here. <laughs> thank you so thanks much, so Helen. Much for it was a us. very uh, awesome conversation. Thanks for the f comments and questions. Yeah. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.